This podcast is sponsored by the Davenant Institute and Davenant Hall, reimagining theological education. Visit davenanthall.com. The Davenant Institute seeks to retrieve the riches of classical Protestantism to renew and build up the contemporary church. Key to this mission is their educational arm, Davenant Hall. In an age where much theological education both overlooks the riches of church history and keeps students in debt, Davenant Hall is reimagining theological education. Davenant Hall takes full advantage of digital technology to make high-quality theological education affordable via online courses. Students can simply audit a single class or enroll in a degree program, including subject-specific certificates, PhD supervision, and the flagship MLIT program, which includes pastoral tracks for Baptist, Anglican, and Reformed or Presbyterian ministry. Enroll in classes at any time during the academic year. Knowing that in-person fellowship is key to Christian formation, Davenant hosts regular residentials at their study center in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of South Carolina. Registration for spring term 2024 classes running April to June is now open. Register by March 27th. Fees start at just $225 for a 10-week class with a two-hour Zoom class from expert professors each week. Spring term classes include Male and Female in Modernity with Alistair Roberts, The Reformation and the Modern World with Michael Lynch, Philosophy as a Way of Life with Joseph Minnick and more. Visit DavenantHall.com to find out more. That's DavenantHall.com. The following is sponsored by the Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology, February 24th through the 26th in East Lansing and April 28th through the 30th in Bryn Mawr. Find information and registration online at AllianceNet.org and hear more at the conclusion of this podcast. This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. My fear is that if you just isolate verse 22 and put it on a refrigerator magnet, you don't see its context and you don't realize that that great statement, that plural, we are not consumed, that is in the context of Christ's suffering and it's because of his suffering. Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. My name is Jonathan Master. I am joined as always by my good friend and great co-host, James Dalzell. James, how are you? Jonathan, it's great to be here. I'm doing well. Good. Well, we are, I know, both on the same page with this. We're both looking forward to our conversation today with our friend C.J. Williams. Uh, C.J. is professor of Old Testament studies at um, at RPTS in Pittsburgh, Reformed Presbyterian Theological Seminary in Pittsburgh. And we've had other guests from that seminary on, and, and so it's a delight to welcome C.J. And what we're going to discuss today is C.J.'s relatively new book called The Shadow of Christ in the Book of Lamentations. So, CJ, thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Uh, James, good to be with you guys. Uh, it's a real pleasure. Thank you. Well, it's our it's our pleasure to have you. And I wanted to begin with a with a question about the Book of Lamentations. Your your book is sort of a commentary and exposition of the Book of Lamentations, but I want to start with Lamentations because I think for many of our listeners, it's a book that they might shy away from uh, or not know what to do with. And so why why is that? Why is Lamentations such a difficult book to read? And why are there so few sermons on Lamentations? I actually don't think I've ever sat under a sermon series on Lamentations that I can remember. So so I wonder, what are, what are the, some of the barriers? Yeah, Jonathan, that's a great question. And I think initially that's what attracted me to the book because 
It is a book that I, I think a lot of people have a lot of room left to come to an understanding of, of what this book is is all about and, and why it's in the scriptures. So you don't hear much from it in the pulpit. People don't really turn to it instinctively in their morning devotions, you know, because it is difficult. It's not known for its gospel content, I would say, like perhaps Isaiah or the Psalms. Uh, so it's difficult um, because it is so unique, right? There, there's really no other book like it. Uh, there are a few Psalms that are laments, but really not a book like this. It, it, it's, it's fascinatingly unique. And uh, so therefore, it's a little bit difficult. And that's what drew me to it. I preached a series uh, through it in the context of a local church, taught through it a few times uh, in my teaching. And, um, you know, I really came to learn quite a bit myself. And I, once the preaching and teaching was done, I felt like uh, I had come to a, um, you know, a Christ-centered perspective on this book that I was excited about. And I thought, well, I, I think I have something more to say. So that's when the light bulb went up over my head. And I thought, well, this is a, this is a good idea for a book. So, um, yeah. Well, the Christ-centeredness, and it's in the title, The Shadow of Christ in the Book of Lamentations, but the centrality of Christ in this book is really, I think, what sets your expositions apart. Uh, it also struck me, and I think you you mentioned this, that we aren't comfortable with lament uh, just in general. And so what drew you to it was the challenges. But I think for some of our, our listeners, and I wonder if you found this in your preaching, uh, it's almost uh, refreshing to have permission to reflect on lament. Was that something that came through as you preached preached this book and and taught it and 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 as as people under you maybe heard it for the first time? Yeah, I think so. You know, uh, maybe we struggle to understand what lamentation is, and I think this book really, you know, stands in a central position in the canon to 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 show us this genre and, and what its purpose is. Lamentation is not just an expression of grief. It is a drawing near to God in grief, and it has certain elements to it that are meant to um, put a beginning and an end to that grief, and so that grief will end in hope. Um, and so I think the Book of Lamentations really shows that process to us, if you will. Um, and we talk about a grieving process, you know, well, uh, what does that look like for a believer? How do you grieve with hope? <laughs> what does that look like? I think that's part of what Lamentations is all about. It shows us the beginning and the end of that process. But um, you touched on the Christ-centeredness of this book, and that's really, the. I think, the focal point of my book is uh, to, to look at Lamentations from that perspective. One of the great features of this book is the, the turning over of the, the speaking voices in the book. There's the narrator of the book, there's um, uh, the plural voice of the people, then there's this singular voice that seems to interject and then come to the forefront, take the spotlight in chapter three. And in all of the commentary on Lamentations, that's one of the big questions. Who are the speakers? What is that dynamic? And not only is it, you know, what's being said, but who's saying it? That's one of the big questions of the book. And, you know, opinions vary, obviously. Is it Jeremiah's voice? Is it someone else? Is it sort of a typical everyman, you know, or the personification of the city, whatever it may be? But when you look at the rest of the Old Testament, you see this is one of the great uh, ways the Messiah, what the ways that Christ is revealed to us in the Old Testament is through that first person voice uh, in the Psalms or in the servant songs of Isaiah. And when you look at Lamentations, I think we can see the book that way. We can hear that first-person voice as the voice of Christ, especially in chapter 3. And then when you start thinking through that paradigm, 
some of the things that are said there make a lot of sense. The the, the singular male sufferer in chapter three of Lamentations, he um, he suffers in innocence. Uh, he is he is under the wrath of God, but persecuted by the people. He even describes what seems like his own death and resurrection in that chapter. So um, this singular sufferer takes the spotlight in this book that is about the suffering of God's people. And I think the purpose of that is to present him as a vicarious sufferer, right? Foreseeing the work of Christ in that respect. CJ, I wanted to ask just in a pro and I, I concur with Jonathan uh, for preachers, it's fear and trembling. The only time can full confession I've ever preached out of it, I've gone right to greatest thy faithfulness yeah. uh, because that's sort of the, the island that comes out of the sea of grief. In terms of holding the book together, if someone were, because you have preached through it, not just from it, but through it, right. uh, and your book works through it, not just in it, uh, how do we situate the admittedly grim material uh, that proceeds and even follows after that kind of island of glory that that shines out there in, in uh, that first half of, or really up through verse 38 of chapter 3? Um, how do you hold the book together, and how would someone see Christ working through the book without sort of a um, a ten part series with two encouraging messages, sort of in the middle? Yeah, okay, that's a great, great question. Um, well, there are five poems, five chapters in Lamentations, and undoubtedly, chapter three is the 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 pinnacle, the chiastic centerpiece of the book. And before and after that chapter, you have these scenes and images of devastation and suffering. But there's also this, this singular voice that, that, that breaks through, that you hear him, but, it, but not fully. And the question is, who is this voice? And I think when we come to chapter three, that is the point where he steps from the shadows. And chapter three begins, I am the man who has seen affliction, right? Hmm. He stands in that category all by himself. So the city, the historical situation, everything fades into the background. It's about this one man who suffers. And as he describes his suffering, and as I said, ultimately, I believe his, his own death and resurrection, right in the midst of that, right in the midst of that is where you find uh, that little island, right, uh, <laughs> that, that everyone knows, like the one passage that everyone knows in this particular book, verse 22, verse 23. And amazingly enough, Chapter 3, verse 22, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. That is the first point in the book where you hear the plural voice. And that is also the first positive point in the book, the first note of hope. And really, like you said, that island of grace. But it's in the context of this one suffering man. And only because of his suffering can the people say, can you and I say, right? <laughs> through the Lord's mercies, mm -hmm. we are not consumed. So, um, yeah, it, it helps to look at the big picture of the book like that. And it, it, it makes, you know, chapter one seem a little bit more, you, you understand the place and the purpose that it serves. It's setting the stage with this scene of contemporary suffering. But it leads us up to that pinnacle, that high point. So my fear is that if you just isolate verse 22 and put it on a refrigerator magnet, like, you know, you know like people are prone to do, put, make it turn it into a bumper sticker, um, you don't see its context, and you don't realize that that great statement, that plural, we are not consumed, that is in the context of Christ's suffering, and it's because of his suffering. Um, so that's uh, kind of a big, big perspective of the forest over the trees, yeah.
How should, in terms of practical counsel, because your book is, you're, you know, you you mentioned even at the outset that you don't save all the practical application uh, for the end, but it's sort of peppered throughout. If you're if you're um, maybe preaching out, someone somebody's preaching out of chapter two, and you read about uh, our enemies have rejoiced over us. God has exalted the horn of our enemies. Mm. Um, how should the believer come away from that text? Because you've already said this is the this is the the suffering of Christ. What implications or practical implications in terms of the ap- approaching that suffering do we derive for Christians from the Book of Re- of Lamentations? Yeah. Okay. That that is a wonderful question as well. So, I believe that the book presents to us the 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 right response of faith to any hardship. Now. Historically speaking, we're talking about 586, 587 BC, the destruction of Jerusalem, which was a long time coming. And we know the purpose that, you know, it was for the sins of the people and so on. But I think the book sort of transcends that particular circumstance and shows us that any hardship in life really is, you know, I would say a call to worship, right? It's a reminder of our humility uh, that, that we are but animated dust, you know, as it's been said. And that no matter the purpose of our sufferings, whether they are inscrutable, as in the book of Job, or whether it's a bit better known, as in the book of Lamentations, this is God's chastening. Um, You know, really the process of of lamenting begins with humbling ourselves in the sight of God and, and approaching him in prayer and laying hold of the hope that we have in the gospel. And really, the burden of chapter one of my book is to is to just show that what what lamentation is. You know, it is that approach to God, the offering of grief to Him, in repentance and in self examination, and and then laying hold of the hope that He gives us in a fresh way, in a new way. Um, and you know, in this book, we hear jerusalem finding her voice of supplication you know she lost her walls her her houses her temple but she found her voice of supplication and i think that's a key point we might lose in life uh, uh, a lot of things we might suffer a lot of things um but it's at those moments where uh we must find and the holy spirit gives us uh, a voice of supplication to to draw near to god and in, in in a fresh way with formalities stripped away just to pour out one's heart to the Lord. And that's a key line of lamentations, pour out your heart like water before the Lord. So, um, you know, I think the book presents to us the hardships, the chastenings of life as those, those moments at which we can be and, and ought to strive to be closest to the Lord. Um, and so hopefully, you know, that ho- I hope that's a helpful perspective. Um, and it's one that uh, was put to the test as I wrote this book. You know, I, I lost uh, quite a few family members over the last two years. My father passed away while I was preaching through Lamentations. My mother passed away while I was writing the manuscript to this book. And then uh, the same week that the book came out, my brother passed away. Uh, so uh, I lost three close family members in under two years, uh, all while providentially I was in the book of Lamentations, really pouring over it and thinking about it. And the Lord used it for such good in my own life, um, for such comfort in my own life. And uh, my one prayer is that others will experience that as well. 
CJ, I didn't know about all of those losses. Um, knew that you had gone through some of that, but I didn't know about all of it. Uh, but what a powerful testimony of the the ministry of God's word in the midst of suffering and of the usefulness yeah. uh, of this book. I, I I just had one final question um, because I think what you just said is such an appropriate note to end on. But I did have a final question um, that some of our listeners might be asking. You you arrived at your exegetical conclusions. Um, through your own study, and it's, you're you're very careful and 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 well trained as an exegete. It's one of the things that comes through so so vividly in this book. But I wondered, were there other commentators that you you leaned on um, in in a particular way? Ones that saw at least some of the same kinds of things that that you're showing us uh, in this text. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a great question as well, Jonathan. I think one of the reasons I felt compelled to write this book is because I really didn't. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there were maybe a few commentators who said, you know, we may sort of think about the the singular sufferer and lamentations as uh, we may, you know, from the vantage point of the New Testament, we may sort of think uh, of of that voice in light of Christ, but we know it isn't uh, in its its, uh, original context. And, and my contention is that it is a prophetic voice. It is just like in the servant songs and, and, and in the Psalter arising out of David's experience. It's meant to be heard and understood in terms of the Messiah, right? And the first person speaking voice. Um, and, you know, Jonathan, I really didn't see that perspective. Um, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm sure that I'm not the only one or the first one. You know, I, I mm-hmm. can't, certainly can't take credit for that. I'm I'm sure others have read it that way. I just haven't seen that as any kind of prevalent opinion. And uh, that was really one of the compelling reasons why I um, I thought, well, I, I think this Christ-centered perspective on lamentations is, is worth putting a pen to paper over that people can see it in this light, because I think it's the, it's the richest approach to lamentations. And I think the book itself urges us to read it that way. Um, so... Um, you know, and I hope that's helpful to readers as well, that they can see a book otherwise really not known for its, you know, anticipation of Christ. Uh, when read in this light, I think it really comes alive with Christ. And it really, to my mind, after studying this book and, and writing this book on Lamentations, I am convinced that this is one of the high points of the Old Testament in terms of its envisioning the work of Christ and anticipating him through that, that prophetic voice. Well, CJ, I have I have every confidence uh, that ministers of the new covenant uh, of Jesus Christ are going to be encouraged uh, by your book to preach Christ from the book of Lamentations, uh, not and through the book of Lamentations, and uh, not just occasionally cross-reference it. So, thank you very much for this contribution. Oh, thank you this morning. So, I'm very thankful for the invitation. James, as we were talking with CJ, there were two things that struck me. One is, uh, and obviously this was the emphasis of his comments and really the emphasis of the book, was the the Christological center, the Christ-centeredness of his exposition, which does fill a, a gap. I mean, there, there, I, I couldn't think of an answer to the question I asked him about who else has approached it this way. There may be someone in the history of interpretation, but but it does seem to fill a real need, particularly in the modern world. And then the other thing that that really struck me was his concise, clear, I think very useful definition of lamentation and what that means to offer up our sorrows and to offer up our grief to the Lord. What a what an important thing. 
And to see this as the voice of the suffering servant, we see that in other parts of uh, the prophets. And to see this as an extension of that same, I, I think he's also right that beside just the sheer difficulty of the material, it is really very bleak in places as the heavy hand of God's judgment is on the southern kingdom of Judah and on Jerusalem in particular. Uh, so many commentaries, and you and I know this because we've made attempts to preach from the book, tend to treat Lamentations almost as if it's an antique something that is stuck in a history that we can be grateful is long past. And it's almost one of those, be thankful it's them and not you right. kind of right. text. And there's not really uh, something for you right now, except perhaps, you know, great is thy faithfulness right? Uh, and a few principles drawn out of that. So any help that we can have preaching lamentations as Christian scripture uh, is going to be valuable. And I suspect maybe some very older uh, sets of sermons or commentaries may have come out that way, but he's right in the modern in the modern market of commentaries. There's a lot that uh, of commentaries do a good job of the historical data, the situation, the architecture, the politics, the sort of everything that kind of makes the book more colorful. But in terms of making the book a book good for Christians, uh, we can be grateful uh, for the work that he's done in this little volume. I, th I think preachers should go for this book. This is not a, it's not big. It's not daunting. It's well-written. It's a curious book, meaning he, he asked the kinds of questions uh, about particular sections of the book that people have, that people ask, how does, how does this little section of the book relate to what I read 18 verses ago? It seems like it's contradictory. I mean, he really, he really wrestles with what the reader of Lamentations thinks about um, as going, as reading through the book and helps uh, the preacher and the teacher, or just somebody who's studying, who wants to, if you want to study Lamentations, kind of do a self-study through it. I'm, I'm not sure a better companion is out there uh, than this one right now. Yeah, I think that's very well put. There are other commentaries that will give you more historical detail, more analysis of the geographic context, and 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 even some of the uh, biblical and theological themes of exile that flow out from the Pentateuch and into this book. But but in terms of application, in terms of uh, asking, as you put it, the the, the right exegetical questions. This is uh, an outstanding place to start. We commend it to our listeners. And for those of you who are interested in the opportunity to win a copy of this book, we do have a few from our friends at Crown and Covenant. The book is entitled The Shadow of Christ in the Book of Lamentations. The author is C.J. Williams. But if you go to placefortruth.org, click on the Theology on the Go link. We love hearing from you, and so please contact us. Or if you're able to make a donation to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, you can do that at AllianceNet.org or at PlaceForTruth.org. There's a donate button on each of those sites. As always, we thank you for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. Here I stand, I can do no other. Martin Luther's stirring words sparked the flames of Reformation more than 500 years ago and remain the heartbeat of the Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology. Join Kevin DeYoung, Richard Phillips, Jeffrey Thomas, and others for our 50th conference, February 24th through the 26th in East Lansing and April 28th through the 30th in Bryn Mawr. As the PCRT is excited to present, Here We Stand. 
The Five Solas of the Reformation. Conference founder Dr. James Montgomery Boyce considered the Reformation solas to be the tonic for the ailing church of our time. Discover once again how God uses these great doctrines to give life to His church as you enjoy rich fellowship and stirring worship among friends. The Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology in Michigan, February 24th through the 26th and April 28th through the 30th in Pennsylvania. Find information and registration online at AllianceNet.com dot org.